Good morning, everyone. Some of you have noticed, but I had to take my sweater off because it is warm in here. Who agrees? Okay, I'll stand on this side then. Okay, um, I want to do a few announcements before I get into the sermon. Dustin usually does them all at the end. Well, I'm changing it up just a little bit. In your bulletin, there's three things I want to highlight just for a minute. You'll notice the polar plunge. Some of you do not like the idea of going into the water when it's this cold out. You're right in the head for that, okay? You're good. But if you'd like to come help support, not just financially, you can also just show up to enjoy the event. So I want to encourage you to, to show up at the camp um, on that Saturday. It'll be fun. Uh, we'll be able to watch some crazy people go into the water and then eat some food, okay? So it'll be worth it. If you look right below that, where it says refresh and awaken, we are hosting this. It's going to be at the um, Brotherhood Mutual Auditorium just down on Fort Wayne. How many of you remember like the old school, old style singspirations, where churches would gather together and they just sing songs together and have some fellowship? Well, this is like Singspiration 2.0, okay? It's newer, so it's not going to have just those old songs. It's going to be a time, though, where all these churches are coming together. We're going to have a speaker. We're going to have time of worship. And the whole point is to help unify Christians, not just in one building, but in the family of God, to refresh our faith and to awaken us back to the commission of God that we have a job to do. So I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. And then if you look on the other part, other page, middle section, several guys have been asking if we have a men's ministry going here, and I've been saying not yet, not yet. Well, we have one now. Um, God has raised up a guy to just kind of spring forward and do this, so right there is some information, and if you want more, please come talk to me. Um, guys, this is going to be good. I'm not leading it, so you know it's going to be even better. Okay, so it's going to be good. I really want to encourage this. The last thing I want to say before I get to the sermon, I love seeing godly relationships, godly um, families, and godly marriages. We love celebrating when there's a long-standing marriage, right? Well, this Tuesday, is it Tuesday? The 16th. We're going to see a family celebrate 70 years of marriage. Rich and Shirley Keys, they're right back there. Um, I would challenge you, if you haven't sent a card, please go do it anyway. Uh, but go talk to them, because right there, that's an example of patience, because she didn't kill him. Okay? <laughs> But imagine the 70 years of marriage. Isn't that just a God-honoring marriage? I just thank you for that example that you've given us all. And I'm very excited to, um, to just tell everybody that I know you and what God's done in a result of that. So thank you for that. All right, let's get to the sermon. I am really excited about this new series we're starting this week. Um, as we're doing Momentum, we did Foundation last year. Last year, now we're getting momentum. We're moving in, in Jesus' ministry. And throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus made several I am statements. Um, most of them are all, re or they're all recorded in the Gospel of John. 
And they, these I am statements relate to his character, his divinity, and his mission. We're going to spend the next few weeks studying these statements and, and what they mean and who they reveal God to be in our lives. If you've never, or if you've ever heard someone talk about these statements, the I am in a sermon or a study, you're going to know that this phrase holds very deep significance in, in spirituality. If you haven't heard this, I, I think hopefully you'll find this to be interesting. The I am is not just a phrase, it's actually the name of God. Okay, it, it's weird in English, but in Hebrew, this would be his name. We have many names, of characteristical names of God in our society. We, mostly we just say God, but, um, it, which is just a generic term. But when we say God, we, we mean it as a name, and, and that's what the I am was for them. You could also, in old times, would say the God of Abraham. Uh, that was one of his names. Um, over the generations, there have been other names that have been given to God. Elohim, which means creator. Adonai, which means Lord. El Shaddai was almighty. And they would use all of these as names describing the character and the heart of God. And there were many others. In Exodus, the NIV translates his name when God is talking to Moses through the burning bush. And it says, I am who I am. And Moses is to go tell all the Israelites, the great I am has sent me, has sent him. Now, it, it consists of four letters, that, that phrase I am. It's Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. It's a tricky name to translate into English. For a long time, people thought it was translated Jehovah, but that was really kind of a Latin style of it. There's no Y in Latin, and so they put Jehovah. But when they found out, when they really studied it, they found out that I am should be pronounced Yahweh. And I said that right, Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh can be translated in, from Hebrew into English in these ways. I am and was and will be. That's the whole phrase. It can be translated as, I will be with you, and it means that perpetual, always. It can also be translated, I am without equal. And so they would all be categorized in this one that I am. And it has a sense that there is nothing beyond, there's nothing bigger, nothing powerful, more powerful than the I am, than Yahweh. And I'm telling you all this because... In this new series, when we look at what Jesus is saying, he says, I am. And then he finishes the sentence. He is proclaiming something. He is stating something. I've heard people, and maybe you've heard this, where people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, yeah, that's, that's not true. In at least seven statements, he is saying, I am. He is proclaiming his name, that he is God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was even born, I, Yahweh, I said it wrong there, Yahweh. That's what he's saying there. Today we're going to be reading in John chapter 6. So uh, I want to give you a little context as you go ahead and turn there if you want. Um, Jesus had just been preaching to the crowd near Bethsaida, and he had fed over 5,000 5, people miraculously. Uh, 
They tried to, at that moment, make him king by force. And so he dispersed them, and he sent his disciples out on a boat so he could go pray. They started off towards the sea of, on the Sea of Galilee. Halfway across, he walks to them on water, and we get that whole scene, which we'll look at in another time. He gets in the boat, and then they come to shore at Capernaum. Meanwhile, a bunch of people from Tiberias and come over from Bethsaida looking for Jesus, but they couldn't find him. The entire crowd got into their boats, and they also went on to the other side to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they finally find him, he's in the synagogue, and, and that's where this event takes place in John 6. And the topic of this whole sermon today is bread. Who here really loves bread? Okay, bread, all right. Um, every culture on earth actually has significance around bread. Just Americans eat 34 million loaves of bread a day. That's a lot of carbs. Okay, um, whether it, it, that's loaves of bread, not to mention rolls, bagels, croissants, pitas, donuts, and what other, other kinds of bread you can find. Uh, bread is a major staple of food for every nation, from tortillas to matzah, the Jewish bread. A family of four can live for 10 years on the bread produced by one acre of wheat in a growing season. That's how much bread can be produced. In 1941, the U.S. government passed a law requiring bakeries to add niacin, thymine, and riboflavin and iron to their bread. That's what you call enriched bread, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, I don't want that. I just want plain old white bread. Now, bread was so prioritized through the years. At one time in our history, it was called, or it was part of currency. They would pay people with bread, which is why... We talk about money, I'm the breadwinner, or that's where that terminology actually comes from. Um, in the 13th century, British bakeries had total control of the bread supply. In those days, loaves were sold in baskets of 12, but some would cheat their customers by skimping on the flour and selling smaller loaves. Eventually, King Henry III heard of this, and he instituted a law punishing bakers who cheated people. These punishments include a beating and jail time, all for giving them smaller loaves of bread. So obviously this made cheating dangerous, and even honest bakers were concerned they might accidentally make a smaller loaf on occasion. So just to be safe, just to avoid punishment, bakers began selling their 12 loaves and one, which make a baker's dozen, and that's where that comes from. See? Touches something that you'll never use for the rest of your life. So back in the days of Jesus, bread was also very important. When we want bread, we go to the pantry. If there's none there, we just run down to the store. It's nothing. But back in the days of Jesus, it would take a better part of a day to go grind the wheat, put enough wood in the fireplace to bake the bread. And remember, they didn't have temperatures so they could get the hot oven too hot or too cold and if you know about baking bread you've got to have it just right so not only would they have to get the wood and, and prepare it all then they'd prepare and cook the bread that you would eat for the next week bread was a very labor-intensive product that took effort and here 
comes Jesus in John 6. Remember, a couple of days prior to this, we read that he, got, he preached and he fed over 5,000 with bread and fish. And when it was all over, they collected kids. How many baskets did they collect? Anybody know? He fed 5,000 and then they collected anybody. 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full. Now we're going to verse 25 in John 6. They found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man came, can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now, many times in scriptures you'll come across the phrase, truly, truly. Um, in, in this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That's, it's the same spot. So if you see truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, um, it's called a double amen. It's found throughout the Gospel of John. It always announces critical truth. It's basically saying, that. That's what he's really saying right there, getting your attention. Hey! You know how teachers or moms would do that and everybody looks? That's Jesus saying, hey, right here I'm going to teach you something, okay? Some of you are getting flashbacks to your mom, aren't you? Yeah. Okay? When Jesus says, truly, truly, I'm going to tell you the truth, He has something very important. Now, they said, when did you get here? He ignores the question and hits on the heart of why they're here. You came not because of what I truly am and what I truly can give you, but because of bread, because of food. They saw his miracle in Bethsaida, and they had a free meal, and they wanted more. They wanted the free meal and a show with it. But Jesus says, you didn't see the signs. They saw miracles, but they didn't see the sign within it. And here in John, a sign is something that points beyond the physical reality to the reality of revelation. There we go. Signs provide insight into the real reality of who God is. Jesus says, don't work for things that spoil. Work for the food that lasts forever. Let's go to verse 28. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus said, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's all God wants. Just believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus says, what's that phrase? They see? Truly, truly, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. Right there is a claim to divinity when he says my father, just so you know. And now he, God the Father, he says, offers the true bread from heaven, not that fake temporary bread that Moses came through Moses. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Wouldn't you love something that you could take a bite and be fully satisfied? Physically and even that hunger, you're like, 
I'm full, I'm good, and nourished. Oh, I want that type of food every day. That's what they're saying. But they're focused on the works, on the miracle of it. John, the author here, often plays on the interplay between working and believing when it comes to salvation. We know we cannot earn salvation by working for it, but on the other hand, faith demands actions. Both believing and obeying are parallel ways that a person acknowledges their dependence on God. Believing and obeying work in parallel. Just as Jesus always responded to God the Father, we are to respond to God the Son. But the people misunderstood Jesus' meaning. He was, already, he was talking about salvation, and what were they thinking? Food. Jesus is talking about salvation, the true bread, the salvation that comes from heaven. They demand a miracle to back up his claim. Didn't they just see one a couple of days before? Now they, they're asking for another one. Verse 35, Jesus replied, they said, we want this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, right there, what did he just say? Yahweh, the bread of life. And they would have understood that. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up in the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. They wanted a miracle. They wanted a free meal. And Jesus says, no, I am the bread of life. You want something substantial to feed you for the day. I am substantial for eternity. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus didn't say, I am the giver of bread. He said, I am the bread. That's a big distinction. He was, in fact, the bread of life that they truly needed. They wanted a miracle. He was standing in front of them. They wanted something substantial. He was right there. If they came to them, he would have given them all. Jesus, though, is concerned with eternal, not the temporary. They're all focused on food, on the things of this life, but Jesus is concerned with the eternal, not the temporary. And the point here is that physical bread sustains physical life. We know this, right? Physical bread will just sustain our bodies. But Jesus is the bread of spiritual life. Do you want your spiritual life to grow? Do you want your spiritual life to get nourished and stronger and better? Then it takes Jesus, the one who is the bread of life. He is the one who sustains and provides spiritual nourishment. Those who come to him for that bread will not be turned away. They will be full. They will have eternity. Let's go on, verse 41. 
Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Right there shows that they knew Jesus said, I am God. Okay? They said, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? When I was in, we'll just stop for a moment. When I was in um, high school, I went into this class, I think it was, oh, I can't remember what class it was, 10th or 11th grade. Went into this class and the teacher looked at my name and he goes, Donnie Goff. Yeah, he goes, are you Mark's son? Yes, I am. Already, that teacher associated me to my dad. You ever had that? Somebody goes, oh, you're one of those. That's what they just did to Jesus. How does he come from heaven? We know Joseph and Mary. We, he's that punk kid down the street. We know him. That's what Jesus, they just did to him. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. Now, he didn't say that really nice, did he? You don't sit there and go, stop complaining. Stop complaining about what I said. Now, he's got force and authority here. For no one can come to me unless the Father, he is reiterating it all, unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day, I will raise them up. And it is written in the scriptures. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. He just equaled himself to God again. Not that anyone has seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, right there, truly, truly. I, anyone who believes, has, um, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Exclamation. This is Jesus getting a little irritated at their, their lack of belief and their just wanting physical bread. I am the bread. Turn your heads away from this stupid food. And look at me. Your ancestors, he said, ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats from the bread of heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. He says multiple times, Yahweh, the bread of life. I am. He says it multiple times. He repeats it. And what's, if it's repeated, it's important. And yet the people here miss the points. But at least they're starting to focus on the real issue. They get hung up on Jesus saying that he came down from heaven. And we have to remember, this isn't a big area. Everybody knew everybody. They knew where he had grew up. They knew his family. But he says, he makes a bold claim, if you know me like you think you do, you would actually know God the Father. Not my earthly dad, but God the Father. They would recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. But he also says if they don't accept Jesus, then they've never known God. How would you like that? You've been going to church, you've been a good person for all your life, and then this guy says, if you don't listen to me, you don't know God. Well, you just grew up down the street. How dare you say that? That's how they're feeling right here. But what happened a few days earlier? He fed the over 5,000. 
They wanted to make him king. And now he's proclaiming he is God. And they're kind of backing up on it. But Jesus says it again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Not just am I the living bread, but I came down from heaven where God is. I am God. He says it right there. This bread is my flesh, which I will give to the world. Now, we have something they don't have. We have hindsight here. They're stuck right in the middle of it, and they can't think through it all. They don't have the full picture. All they know is this guy is saying everyone who wants eternal life has to eat him. That's weird. Okay? Look what it says, verse 52. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. That's clapping, okay? Truly, truly. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life without, within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Jesus just said, eat me. Time out. Um, that sounds very cannibalistic, doesn't it? Does Jesus actually teach that we need to engage in cannibalism here? No. Okay? When he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he is not talking literal. Okay? There are some churches who actually teach that. Um, the, the Catholic church teaches that when you take the Eucharist or communion... That when you take that bread, it literally turns into flesh when you eat it. And when you drink the wine or the juice, it literally turns into blood. That's gross. Okay? They, they teach it, but that's not what Scripture is saying. And that's not even what Jesus is alluding to. First thing, Jesus isn't talking about physical bread. This whole time we can see that. He's not talking about really bite my finger. He's saying, take of who I am. When he said, I am the bread of life, what he meant is every time that you look at a loaf of bread, remember, just as much as you need that bread, you need me more. Just as that bread will help sustain you for a day, I can sustain you for eternity. Jesus said um, things like this other times. He said, I am the true vine. Now, is Jesus saying, I'm a plant? No. Um. He's saying that every time you see a vine, that, that fruit at the end of it gets a nutrition from the vine, not that he's literally a plant. Uh, when Jesus said, I am the gate, is Jesus really saying, I am a fence? Literally? No. He's saying, through me is the way that you can find salvation. I'll keep bad things out and let the good things in. Here, Jesus is talking in the same way as the true vine the real gate or real bread. In his teachings, he's talking about who he is spiritually. Notice what Jesus said here in verse 51. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Bread gives life. And like physical bread, Jesus' body is going to give us spiritual life, which we see happen on the cross. What would it do if if we changed the way we ate every time you picked up one of those carb-loaded pieces of goodness? You thought of how much you desperately need Jesus to thrive, to survive, and to make it an eternity. With every bite, you remember Jesus is the only way. That's what it means here. He offered himself as salvation. At the Last Supper, which took place before Jesus was crucified, Luke 22, verse 19 says, And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Did he really take the bread and it turned into flesh? No, it was symbolic of who he is. He hadn't died yet, so this wasn't part of that. This was him saying, look at how this is going to change. What Jesus is saying to every disciple, every time we need to remember this bread, this son of God, this one sent from God is the one who died on the cross for us. Remember his sacrifice. Secondly, when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, the metaphor here is that eating his flesh and drinking blood equals believing and partaking in relationship. It's not actual eating and drinking. It's about what this means in relationship. Kind of like what we do with communion. We celebrate that each week. Why do we do this? It's because it is so important to remember he died for us. I, I had somebody I was um, talking to a, a while back, and, and they're like, well, sometimes when you take communion every week, it becomes mundane. But that's not true. If it's mundane, it's our fault, not his. There, when you have a brand new baby... Can you stop kissing them? Well, stop. It'll become mundane. When when you first get married, can't you just... You can't stand not looking away from them. You just want to keep looking. Well, it'll become mundane. It's not the act. It's our attitude with it. And communion should not be mundane. That's our time that I get to stop and remember I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven because of him. There is nothing mundane about that. And one time a week isn't enough. Because he is so important. It is about relationship with him. That's what communion is. It's me saying, yes, I need you. You paid the price so that I can get the victory. He is the bread and I get the sustainability from him. After we get going through this passage, there was a lot of confusion between Jesus and his audience. But the same problems are present for us as they were for them. So what should we take away from this? What was Jesus trying to get to them and get us to take away from it? See, the crowd didn't see that Jesus was trying to tell them because they were focused on earthly things. 
He said, don't work for food that'll perish, but food that endures to eternal life. They were chasing after miracles, chasing a free meal and a show. They were focused on the literal, physical now. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual future. They had blinders on. How many times do we do the same thing? God, just show me what it is. Just give me this sign and I'll believe it. No, 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 no. I am the bread. You don't need that. You just need me, is what he's saying. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the spiritual bread. And in order to receive this spiritual bread, we have to do two things. First, we have to believe in him. That's the first blank. We have to believe in him to receive this bread. This is what he describes as the work of God. And if we do, he will meet our spiritual needs. You have to believe in him. You have to put your life... And belief doesn't mean, well, I believe. That belief means act upon it. And then he says, I will raise you up on the last day. The crowd was hungry. They wanted free food. But Jesus says, I am not for today, but through all eternity. They were focused on their stomachs, not their souls. So ask our, yourself, do we trust Jesus to meet our spiritual needs? Obviously, oh yes, yes. Prove it. How are you living in such a way that you are fully focused on letting him be the bread of your spiritual life? Are you allowing him to fulfill? That was the first thing. We need to believe it. The second thing, we have to participate. It's not merely enough to know that it's true. We have to do something about it. If all we did with the communion was just look at it and go, oh, that's nice, and then moved away from it, what good did we do? If all you did was go up on to the day of your wedding and say, nice, and then walked away, it's not a wedding, is it? Just like we have to believe in him, we have to participate with him. He says, you have to take of this. You have to be a part of this. Whoever eats and drinks my blood and flesh, whoever participates in relationship you can take of all the stuff of this earth you want, but you are going to die. But if you take into, participate in relationship with me, you will have eternal life. Those who join him in his life, in his death, will also gain in his life. So are we participating in his kingdom? Are we participating in his kingdom? Are we finding our satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus? As we leave here this week, it's my hope that day after day, we would find fulfillment, satisfying fulfillment in him. Jason, Vicki, and Clayton came up about this example of this uh, time that we can participate in. And, and you'll notice it, and anytime Jesus talked, he met physical needs so that he could open up doors to spiritual needs, we, which is what you're talking about. We go meet a physical need so we can hopefully open the door to a spiritual need. We all need to be looking for those because Jesus is saying, I am the bread. Then he also tells us, all of his believers, go tell them about this bread. 
Go tell them while painting a house or building a deck. Go do this when you're shopping at Walmart. Go do this when you're at work or at school. You tell them about the bread of life. You all know I like food, right? It's obvious. I I love barbecue ribs. And when I find a good set, you know what I do? I tell as many people as I can. It's just what we do. I I like to share that. How much more should we be sharing about this bread of life? This food that doesn't just fill a body but fills my soul so much so that I don't long for anything of this world anymore. It sustains me. It fills me. Let me tell you about this bread. Let me tell you about Jesus. This world's going to fail you. You may get your fill for tonight, but guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be hungry again for something else. Except Jesus always fills. He is the bread of life. He's what you truly are starving for. There's so many in the church right now who are starving. We go through the motions. We don't participate in that relationship. Will you change that today? Will you change it and let him really live within you? And for those who we know he's living in them, are you taking it out there? Not just holding it up in here in this nice little building. Are you taking it out to the world that's dying, who are hungry for something truthful? We're going to stand and pray. And if you need to make a decision, won't you come as we do so? Let's stand. Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you that you are true bread that you sustain us, that you fulfill us, that you nourish us more than we can comprehend. And God, I ask forgiveness uh, for myself of so often letting go of the true bread and grabbing the things of this world. Give me of that, God. Remind me of the true bread that you are. And I ask that you just part impart into this church right now that that those who want to live that out to have you fulfill and, and fill them even more that you would rise within us that you would awaken us into that I ask that you would move in the hearts that are starting to feel that stirring from your Holy Spirit that they would finally make that choice to fully trust you and God as we go into a song let it not be from our lips but to let this truly be from our hearts and our souls. For you are all we need. And in Jesus we pray. Amen.